Welcome to Tequila Talks, the podcast that provides a comprehensive understanding of the world of finance and technology today. This show is brought to you by Nova Payment, a mission-critical financial and payments infrastructure provider. I'm Alex Johnson, and I'll be hosting the first episodes, where I'll be talking to industry leaders and delving into the business models of some of the most successful fintechs operating right now across the Americas. And I'm Nicole Kasperson, and I'll hear the human stories and insights behind the headlines that most people miss. Let's do this. We can bring a lot of value to our clients in Mexico. Mm. HSBC was created more than 160 years ago to service clients in a country like Mexico, which is completely open to international trade, completely open to foreign exchange. So we are the best for that. In this episode, I sit down with Jorge Arce, the CEO of HSBC Mexico, one of the largest banks in Latin America. Now, in this episode, Jorge and I get into his lessons learned as a global banking leader and how he keeps his priorities straight as CEO. We're also talking through his experiences navigating the bank through the coronavirus pandemic, all the way to today's current crazy market. And we're also talking about his predictions for the fintech market and beyond. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jorge Arce. Jorge, welcome to Tequila Talks. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Well, we're so excited to have you join this series and explore some of the more human elements about you. Um, We love to first open up this show by asking a bit about your journey, right? How does one become a human of fintech or a CEO of a massive bank in Mexico? Um, So for starters, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you grew up. Well, I'm originally from Mexico City. I'm the youngest of eight siblings. Wow. So basically, I started my career. I went to school in the United States, uh, high school and college. Then I came back to Mexico, and I started to work in Citibank, Mexico. I worked there for almost five years. And then I went to Argentina and Monterrey with Citibank. Then I was hired to go to a Bankers Trust in New York. And Bankers Trust was acquired by Deutsche Bank, and I did my career in Deutsche Bank, Bankers Trust for 21 years. Then I came back to Mexico, and then I was CEO of Deutsche Bank Mexico. Then I moved to Santander, Mexico. For four years, I was in charge of the wholesale banking business for Santander, Mexico. And then I joined HSBC three and a half years ago, at the beginning of the pandemic. I'm married with three children. I have a granddaughter. Aww. I like dogs. I like I like a lot of things. So the journey has been long, no question about it. I had the opportunity to learn a lot of the banking business through many people and many people that were interested in my career. I think that's how you become a CEO of a bank like this, is that along your career, people pay attention to you take the time to teach you and to guide you. So I'm very thankful for all the people during that journey that were interested in my career. And I love that you mentioned that because I know a lot of my 
uh, listeners, you know, they're also aspiring CEOs or are currently CEOs, right? Or founders and, and startup founders and just trying to navigate the craziness of that ecosystem, right? And our fintech ecosystem. I mean, you had mentioned that, you know, a piece of what made you feel like you, you know, excelled in your career is having people pay attention to you. Any secrets to how going about your career in the banking space that you maybe ensured that people were paying attention to you? Communication is very important. Be close to people that will contribute something to you and you can contribute to them. I think the most important thing anybody can do is the network. Personal network, professional network, internal, external. Take care of your network throughout your career. So these people that have been with me for the last 30 five years of my career or 34 years of my career, I continue to have be in touch with them. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that you have to pay attention is that to build that network, you have to be willing to give more than to receive. So be always willing to make a connection, to help somebody even you are not going to receive anything in exchange because probably in the future you will receive something, a good word, uh, a recommendation, just something positive and make sure you do the same thing for everybody else that has been part of that journey. It's thinking about your relationships and your network so much more than just, you know, the the ROI of a, of a business, right? It's, it's combining that element of it that, of course, you have to think about when you're running a business. But then the other side of it is being a human, is creating relationships, is being one with people and being open to giving. And I think in today's environment, people are so much more cognizant of someone that maybe is trying to give only for what can be given back to them, if you know what I mean, you know, but but you have to be genuine, you know, you have to be authentic in that you just want to genuinely get to know people and do your best work. And I think when you go into it with that mindset, always being down to be other oriented, you know, that's really what makes happy employees. That's what makes you a happier human. At least that's what I I tend to enter that mindset, especially when networking gets hard. And I think we have to think of ourselves as leaders always. Mm -hmm. And part of leadership is to make sure that you can influence people and that you are influenced by others and be able to listen and be able to, to make sure that you can remove roadblocks or you can help people along the way to make sure that they do their best no matter what. So mm -hmm. we have to think as, as ourselves, everybody, no matter what part of the organization you are as leaders. And if you think of yourself as leaders, you'll do okay. So if you take care of your team, you take care of yourself, you take care of your family, you're probably going to do well in business and you're probably going to get the good ROIs or ROEs or ROTES or whatever you want to, to measure your success on if you focus on the critical things. And, and I think one of the most critical pillars in anybody's life is your relationship with others. Oh my gosh. I mean, you heard it here first, folks. You heard it from the CEO himself. So everyone... Pay more attention to others. Uh, well, and throughout your career, you had mentioned that you took over as CEO at the beginning of 2020. You said it with some conviction because I'm sure you got to have some pride now, you know, through fast forward three years later and having to navigate that time period um, right before or during, right, COVID uh, hitting the Americas. 
you know, that that period was really hard, right? We saw branch closures. We saw a rush to digital becoming a major focus, which was actually a benefit as well. Um, but from a business standpoint, what were your main priorities during this time, having just taken over as CEO? Like, you're, I'm, hi, I'm the CEO now. COVID hits. What do you do? Exactly. It's like I waited all my life to get a job like this. And I joined HSBC Mexico, uh, which is the fourth or fifth largest bank in Mexico. We have about 7 million clients, uh, almost 17,000 colleagues working uh, in HSBC Mexico. And then Kobe hits. And uh, my daughter, she gives you these words of wisdom that only a 14-year-old daughter can give you back then and says, impeccable timing, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> So that obviously grants you, but it's a great opportunity. And it was a great opportunity because you focus on basics. You had no room for error. You have to communicate. You have to focus on what was important. And you have to protect the bank and protect your customers and protect your, your colleagues. So we did everything. And I have the benefit of joining a bank with a great team, very professionals, very deep in their knowledge of the organization on the situation. So I was here to help them do their job more than anything else. But at the end of the day, I had to give some direction. So we focused mm -hmm. on, on the client first, making sure the client was going to face some unusual circumstances and strong hardships. So we were with the authorities to get some regulatory relief to make sure that we were able to support our clients during this two years or two and a half years, because they're going to face something that they have never faced before. Mm -hmm. Also make sure to protect our, our colleagues and making sure some people were from home, other people were from the branches because we were an essential service. Yeah. So you could not send everybody to, to their home and to be protected. So we had to protect the people that work and, and our colleagues that work in branches, that work in critical services, like payments that they needed to take public transportation to go to work, for example. So we have to do that. Then we also help some other of our colleagues to go home and to work from home and give them all the facilities to do that from a VPN, a laptop, a chair. Yeah. The chairs were in high demand, I didn't know, <laughs> until I went home and, and I had to sit in the chair of the dining room for eight, oh, for eight hours. And it kills back. my back. Yeah, I didn't know what a sciatica was until after sitting for eight hours with with that chair. So we focus on that and making sure we were working with everybody and communicated with the authorities, as I said, to communicate amongst ourselves with the clients and working in specific things that we know we could do. Mm -hmm. We could not do everything, but there were things that we could do. But as a bank, we have certain fiduciary responsibilities. Right. The first and foremost is to protect the savings of our clients. It's not to lend money, it's not to make money, it's to protect the savings of our clients. So we instituted a lot of programs within the bank to make sure that we were protecting. The biggest responsibility that we had was to protect those savings, that liquidity that our clients had. And I think we did it really, really well. Mm -hmm. Then we knew some of our clients were going to have certain problems in repaying their loans on time. So we wanted to analyze what's going to happen, how we can help them. Mexico was very unique in which nobody received a real support from the government in terms of cash. Mm -hmm. 
payments. So we have to find other ways to support the population and our clients. So we worked with, with the authorities to make sure that if we provided some support to certain clients, that would not affect them in their credit bureau, for example. Mm. And they were very open to that. So we instituted a lot of things to make sure that that would happen. We also strengthened our digital offering and our digital journey for clients and for new clients to make sure that that was happening. So we focus on technology. We focus on our people. We focus on our clients. We focus on making sure that we have the liquidity to afford something that we did not know when it was going to end. And if you remember 2020, things got bad, got worse, and got worse for a long, long time. Speaking of just that fluctuation, right? You're so right. When I do think about the last few years, it's like it got bad, worse, worse, kind of good again, and then bad again. And it, it just was like a constant fluctuation. And and now, though COVID feels very like behind us, we're still really facing some a lot of the ramifications, right, of those years that the world was shut down and that people were sick and that, you know, we and, and this year has been, you know, challenging on banks. And how, I guess, have some of your priorities just evolved as these circumstances continue to fluctuate and change? Or maybe they don't evolve. Maybe you just stick to what you always, you always focus on. Well, I think the priorities don't change. I think yeah. clients, our colleagues, the well-being, communication, I think that doesn't change. One important thing that we should remember is that we cannot forget the heavy price that we paid during COVID. Yeah. So one of the things I had to do was helping our colleagues get medical attention, access to oxygen, access to medicine, access to um, bed, sometimes in hospitals. I had to call mothers that had lost their children or their husband mm-hmm. and tell them I was sorry. So the human toll was significant, not only to our colleagues, to our clients, to our friends and family. We all paid a heavy price. So we cannot forget the lessons of COVID. I think we were lucky in Mexico as well that the country never closed completely. Other parts of the world completely closed. Mm. The U.S. and Mexico could not close because many circumstances in Mexico was different. There are people that cannot make a living if you just stay home. They live in a daily wage that they have to make money that day to eat. So their biggest concern was to bring money or food to the table that day instead of protecting themselves. And that's why Mexico suffered a lot during the pandemic. But at the same time, it gave us the opportunity that the economy did not sink as much as it could have, mm-hmm. and that, and it recovered faster than other other countries. So that the fact that it never shut down, together with the U.S., it never shut down. Although there was a diminished economic activity, it helped us to come out of the pandemic stronger than we thought was going mm-hmm. to we going to come. So we suffer a lot. We come from a pandemic in a better situation. And at the same time, the world is changing. Everybody realizes that the supply chains cannot be all the way to Asia because it's too far away. You cannot control or you have to diversify your your supply chains. You also have to make sure that you have access to to products. and, And so these disruptions in the world is benefiting Mexico more than anybody else. So we talk about nearshoring, or we talk about how countries are moving into blocks. And in Mexico, we have been building the infrastructure, 
during the last 30 years of a complete open economy, which is integrated, especially to the US and Canada, but also to the world. We have 46 free trade agreements. We have an industrial base that's very dynamic and very strong that that compete with everybody. And that has helped the country tremendously. So Mexico is coming out of this, of this pandemic and this economic crisis. And these questions between how the relationship between East and West is going to be, and Mexico is going to play a different, more significant role than ever. Mm. So we have the benefit that there is a record a number of, of foreign investment in Mexico, a lot of interest. Also, the population is benefiting from a lot of social programs and a lot yeah. of, and a raising in, in minimum wages. So consumption, remittances, for example, also our compatriots that live in the U.S. are sending record remittances. So Mexico is benefiting from all that. That's why you see the peso at record levels versus the, the U.S. dollar or currencies as well. So right now we are trying to capture this opportunity for the bank. And how do you do that? So we're coming from a very deep crisis into a booming market. So it's moving from negative 10 to positive 30 in a very fast timeline. Yeah. yeah. So what we have to make sure is that we continue to focus on the client. We continue to improve customer journeys, security, providing the, the right products, having access to liquidity. So even though we went through a very difficult time, the questions and the answers not necessarily are different. Mm -hmm. You have to focus on your colleagues. You have to focus on the resources that you give, remove roadblocks, uh, invest to make sure that you can deal with the bad and the good. Yeah, like always remembering that, right, that the bad and the good is, it comes and goes and you have to be prepared either way. But I love just hearing your holistic approach to all of it and also just the role that you've played in helping bring more of Mexico to be this power player, right, in the economy, because it always has been and deserves more spotlight. So speaking of changes, though, fintech is changing very rapidly as well. And uh, we've mostly spoken to people on tequila talks that are directly involved in the fintech world. So I'd love to get your perspective on the continuous rise of financial technology as the head of one of the largest banks in Mexico, a country that, like I said, in many ways has really been leading the change, right, for finance, for financial equity in Latin America. These past few years, there have been hundreds of new fintech startups that have emerged and accelerated this digital environment that we're in, um, with countless firms emerging in areas like insurtech, paytech, lending, wealth management, you name it, it is endless. I mean, I, there are so many apps out there. I, it makes my head spin when I cover this industry. So what is your perspective on the phenomenon of so many new firms coming up in such a short time? And, you know, is it a net good? What are your concerns on the saturated market? Where's your head at with this one? Well, we thrive with competition. Competition is good for everybody. Especially HSBC is probably the most global bank in the world. So it competes with everybody, anybody, everywhere in the world. So I have the benefit of working in a place like HSBC that we can learn from what's happening in the UK, Hong Kong, the US, Singapore. So we are an organization that competes with everybody and 
with every single technology, every single permutation of competition in the financial world. Mexico has not been different. And we work in a, in a very competitive environment. Uh, so it's not only I compete with fintechs, I compete with my other peers here, which are also global banks, very strong, very well capitalized, that invest heavily in technology. And the first thing that you have to ask yourself is what you want to be. And HSBC wants to be a very digital bank. So we see ourselves as a fintech with all the positives of a large global bank, well capitalized, with a lot of services, with a global network. So we're investing in digitalizing the operation at scale, improving customer journeys, improving cybersecurity, improving the way we do things. We're learning from the IT world to make sure that we have an idea well of develop of, of deploying new products, for example. So I think we are thriving under this competition. And we see a lot of new competitors and you appreciate the creativity, the, the efforts of these entrepreneurs that are putting a new solutions for payments or for wealth management or, or for small and medium-sized enterprises, value propositions that we never saw before. Mm-hmm. We're learning from them. We are competing with them. And some of them are our providers of services and products. Some of these fintechs uh, and the thing that fintechs encompasses a lot of different companies and industries and enterprises, there are partners. There are partners in how we identify people, how we interact with vendors, how we provide quicker solutions to our clients. So the world is changing. And I think that the banking sector has been a very competitive sector for a long, long time, especially in Mexico. And you see how quickly we deploy products, how good is the customer journey for clients in Mexico. And I think we have to put a pause here and say that Mexico, when you think about financial services, is two Mexicos. Mm. One Mexico that receives top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art products, which you would find uh, in Singapore, UK, or Spain, or the US. And there's another part of Mexico that is in the informal economy that some of them do not even have access to bank accounts. So what we need to do is make sure that people that are in the informal economy move to the formal economy. That we have a tremendous benefits in, in productivity and tax collection and, and the well-being of these people that we have social services, but also they will have access to the services of banks. Mm-hmm. And once you have a bank account, your life changes. Because you will have access to credit, you would be able to to use credit cards, buy your car, buy your home, uh, access to insurance, and access to many things, which this is something that we need to focus on Mexico, and we need to focus almost in every other emerging market. Mexico is the one I know the best, but when I talk to colleagues in India or Brazil or, or Colombia or other parts of Asia, they have the same problem or the same opportunity. So we see fintechs also helping us bring some of those people that are outside the banking or the financial world into the financial world. And some of them are better serviced by banks than fintechs because they need some things that a fintech cannot provide. So we are seeing, for example, fintechs in payments in certain businesses that are too small for us to go and cover. But they have become part of the credit card or the debit card ecosystem. 
And once they become and they get a bank account, we can go there and provide them credit and understand them. And, and that improves. And that's a virtual cycle that I think is going to help everybody. Is that a part of the reason why you don't spin off to fully independent neobank land, right? Because you just have so, there's just too many things that you're doing to go with that strategy, right? Yeah, in Mexico, there are two strategies with traditional banks, some mm -hmm. open bank or like a fintech bank within the organization, and they put all their digital investment in that new venture. And some of us, like HSBC and others, decided that the digital bank is going to be HSBC Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is going to be uh, shades of gray at the end. I think that we can transform this bank and we are working to transform this bank to be agile, to be quick, to have the best customer journey, to have very strong cybersecurity, to be very quick in developing new products and, and deploying them. And I think that we are going to be very successful and we make sure success of how our clients interact to us. And I, we have never had more clients than us. We have never had better NPS scores than today. We have never had more clients in which they think that we are their main bank. Customer primacy for us is very important. Mm -hmm. And I think we can compete and we can do things so much better. But also we have wholesale banking clients. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, HSBC globally is very strong and very focused on wholesale banking and maximizing this international network. Mm -hmm. And for that, there's nobody else better than us because mm -hmm. we have payments across all the geographies. We can do foreign exchange better than anybody. We are leaders in, in most of the pairs of currencies like US dollar and Mexican peso. So we can bring a lot of value to our clients in Mexico. Mm. So HSBC was created more than 160 years ago to service a clients in a country like Mexico, which is completely open to international trade, completely open for, to foreign exchange. So we are the best for that. <laughs> well, I love your conviction. And I mean, that's what it takes, right? For a leader to do all of the incredible things to help the people of Mexico and, and globally, right? Um, well, as we are getting closer to the end of our discussion here, one of my final questions for you would be, where do you see the future of financial technology heading in Latin America in the next, you know, five to 10 years? Are there any particular segments that you are excited about? Is there anything that keeps you up at night? I think we're going to see more access to more people throughout the region. And that, I think, is the ultimate goal. And I think that that is going to translate in economies of scale in which we can provide more services at better prices, more custom-tailored products for people that actually do what the client is looking for or what it needs. So we're going to have a more stable, more dynamic, more competitive environment, no question about it. We're going to have more players coming into the market that focus in specific niches of the mm -hmm. market, like certain payments or certain services or certain type of credit cards. And I think there's going to be space for everybody, okay? Mm. Space for large, complex organizations such as ours that hopefully work there in a very nimble, agile way that can be very reactive to that. We're going to have a much better way of doing business in which we can 
manage our risk properly because we're going to have a lot of technology, artificial intelligence that we're going to be able to to use all this data that we have to learn to prevent crime, uh, financial crime, to provide better services, to do things better and quicker, and we can translate those benefits to our clients. Mm. And, and I think that Latin America is adapting these changes very quickly, and we see it in Brazil, obviously, Argentina, or Colombia, or Peru, but also in Mexico. So I think that we're going to have a more affluent and better customer base when the banking system does well, it is because the country is doing well. It's because mm-hmm. the the ecosystem, our clients are doing well. So we want to make sure our clients have all the tools to do well. Well, well said. And my final question for you is if we need to be the change that we wish to see in the world, what changes do you wish to see in fintech? I'll, I'll say fintech or banking for you. And how do you embody it? Well, I think we're seeing a lot of the changes happening already. The democratization of, of the financial world in which more people participate and get the benefit of being part of the financial system. And that if you are somebody that lives in a very small town in the mountain of Mexico that you don't have access to a, a branch of a bank, you have a cell phone and you can do your payments and you can transact and do it as efficiently and safely as somebody living in Mexico City, New York, or Hong Kong. So this universality of having access to financial products, services, and the benefits of being part of that ecosystem, we want all the world to have it, in Africa, in Asia, Latin America, or other parts of the world. Very well said. Well, Jorge, thank you so much for joining me on Tequila Talks and for being so open and honest about your journey, your leadership, and what you are looking out for for the future of fintech banking in Latin America. Perfect. Thank you very much, Nicole, for inviting me. Thank you for everybody. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, why not pass it on to a friend you think would enjoy it too? And be sure to rate us five stars wherever you listen. This episode was brought to you by Nova Payment a mission-critical financial and payments infrastructure provider. So you don't miss any more fintech stories. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.